Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine, advancing medicine through precision diagnostics and novel therapies. Your host is Dr. Lee Friedman. Oropharyngeal cancer makes up a growing proportion of head and neck malignancies. To some extent, this has been associated with the increase in infection of the oropharynx by oncogenic strains of the human papillomavirus, or HPV. Transoral robotic surgery, or TORS, has allowed for minimally invasive surgery for HPV-related and non-HPV-related oropharyngeal cancer. What is TORS, and how is it affecting treatment of oropharyngeal cancer? I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me today is Dr. Gregory Weinstein, professor and vice chair and the director of the Division of Head and Neck Surgery. He is also the co-director of the Center for Head and Neck Cancer in the Department of Otorhinolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Weinstein, welcome to the program. Thanks very much. Why don't we start very basically with uh, the question, what exactly is TORS? TORS is transoral robotic surgery. Back in 2004, my colleague Bert O'Malley and I began research applying the uh, Da Vinci surgical robotic system, which is made by Intuitive Surgical, to tumors and lesions of the throat. So what TORS is, is it allows the three arms of the robot to be put into the mouth and allows us to resect cancers or benign lesions or benign tumors that uh, in the past would have required a, a rather extensive operation to remove or an alternate non-surgical treatment such as radiation or chemoradiation, which in some cases is not as effective as surgery. And so this is what transoral robotic surgery is. And so the advantage uh, seems to be that it's much less invasive when you uh, compare it to a traditional surgery? Exactly. And these little tools that are at the end of the robotic arms move exactly like your hands do. So essentially what it is, uh, you can consider it like miniaturization of your hands and working in the mouth in tight spots that we normally would have trouble getting to. And in 2009, the FDA cleared transoral robotic surgery for T1 and T2 malignancies and benign tumors of the throat. And last year, the FDA cleared removal of benign tongue-based lesions. And I would imagine this is a skill that needs to be developed. Uh, what is the uh, process of learning this technique, and how many surgeons across the country are, are adept at this? So back in 2009, after FDA clearance, it was necessary to do what we call postgraduate surgical training. The postgraduate surgical training means that practicing surgeons who are out there, this is new technology and a new approach, um, need a way to learn these techniques so that they can, if they choose to, apply them in their practices. So we began a training program at the University of Pennsylvania, which is done in conjunction with the robotics company. And what the training approach has done is it allows surgeons to get online training on the web and then inanimate training done in computer packages that are in the console of the robot that they do back at their home hospital. Then they visit the University of Pennsylvania, spend about eight hours doing a pig lab where they deal with live tissues. Then the next day, they do half a day of cadaver work with either Bert O'Malley or myself, and then they observe cases the following day in the operating room and watch what we're doing and the OR setup and, and how we use the instruments and how we do the cases. And then finally, they go back to their home institution and surgeons from around the country travel around and do proctorship for these surgeons in their first couple of cases. 
So it's been a, an approach that has yielded, I think since 2009, over 250 trainings of individual surgeons. Prior to that, we had surgeons coming from around the world, about 50 surgeons. So about 300 surgeons have been trained at the University of Pennsylvania. We're the primary training program in the world for this technology. And now several thousand tourist cases are done annually worldwide. Well, that's fascinating. So a very broad-reaching training program involving many modalities, all based really out of your program at the University of Pennsylvania. That would be accurate. And I imagine that this uh, technique results in much lower morbidity. It's been uh, five, six years since it's been approved. Do we have efficacy measures for this versus more standard treatments? Well, to get FDA clearance, Essentially, what we did was we compared the results. Well, back in, well, I'll back up for a second. Back in 2006, we felt that it was important to get others doing research in transaurobotic surgery. And we set up a, a training program that was a research training program for 12 surgeons from around the country. And this included surgeons from Mayo Clinic, University of Alabama, MD Anderson, and uh, Mount Sinai in New York, from numerous institutions around the country. And then we gave them our research protocol, showed them how to do the surgeries that we were doing back in 2006, and then encouraged them to do research. And, and all of these institutions began research programs. And ultimately, we pooled the data from the University of Pennsylvania in 2009, the University of Alabama, and the Mayo Clinic. And with a, one of my colleagues, uh, Chris Holzinger, who was then at MD Anderson, now is at Stanford, as a data safety manager. And... The data from that, uh, our work, was given to the FDA. And basically, it compared it to historical findings in the literature for standard surgery and for radiation and chemo radiation. And it was found that on an oncologic level, it was at least equivalent or better than many modalities. And on a functional level, was, again, equivalent or better. If we look specifically at oropharyngeal cancer, because oropharyngeal cancer is really, there's been an epidemic of HPV-related oropharyngeal cancers in the United States, and this has been really the home that TORS has found. It really is an excellent treatment modality for tonsil cancer and tongue-based cancer. If we look at that specifically, the cure rates that have been published in the literature for HPV-related cancers are over 95% using transorobotic surgery. And the key issue is functional outcomes. In other words, can the patient still swallow and speak well? And the functional outcomes have been outstanding as well with a very low, what we call peg dependency. When patients can't swallow after an aggressive treatment in their throat, they have to have a stomach tube. And the peg dependency rates have been on the order of less than 1% or 2%. And the same for uh, tracheostomy rates, which is uh, some patients because of swelling would need that. Now, when you look at the alternative treatment for oropharyngeal cancer, it's high-dose chemotherapy and radiation, typically cisplatinum-based chemotherapy. New technology doesn't get developed. It doesn't get accepted. It doesn't get adopted by the, by the community unless the thing it's replacing has problems. And the reason we did this research, particularly on oropharyngeal cancer, was that the standard high-dose chemoradiation is way too intense a treatment with significant side effects. And the side effects include a long-term risk of a permanent stomach tube of about 10% in the best of hands, if you look at the literature. Then in terms of cure rate, you know, we, right now, we, we, when we look at this, we say that, that chemoradiation, that, that HPV-related cancers are highly curable with chemoradiation. But in fact, if you look at the existing data, if you look at the patients, and it's been done looking at RTOG patients, for instance, if a patient was, is a non-smoker, then 
regardless of the stage of the HPV-related cancer, they have about a 93% overall survival at three years. If they have a 10-pack year smoking history and they have more than one lymph node in the neck, the cure rate drops down to 67%. And then if they're not HPV-related, the cure rates from chemoradiation at three years are about 47%. That's disease-free survival. Now, if you look at TORS, regardless of HPV status and smoking status, and we published this data recently in Head and Neck Journal, it's over a 95% cure rate, regardless of whether they were smokers or numbers of lymph nodes and so forth. And so the home that TORS has found is as an alternative to high-dose chemoradiation. Very impressive. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Gregory Weinstein, professor and vice chair and the director of the Division of Head and Neck Surgery at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Weinstein, let's turn to HPV. What is the connection with HPV and oropharyngeal cancer? There's a number of HPV-related viruses. The one that causes the head and neck cancers tends to be HPV-16 and HPV-18, but mostly HPV-16. If you look at the CDC website, 50 million Americans have been exposed to HPV virus. Now, normally what happens with the virus, it gets integrated into the cell, it takes over the, the um, DNA mechanism, reproduces itself and its viral capsid, destroys the cell, and then is dispersed and is infectious and moves on. Well, with HPV and this kind of oncologic virus, in some patients, the virus gets integrated into the DNA of the cell and automatically turns itself off from replicating and then resides there, not being infectious, because really the infectious point appears to be about six months to a year. And then it's no longer infectious, but in some patients, it's integrated itself into the DNA and then kind of resides there for decades. And then several decades later, anywhere from you know 20 to 40 years later, these cancers start to show up. And on, this is the same virus that causes cervical cancer, but unlike in women, we don't have a pap smear yet or an early detection method for um, finding these cancers. So the way these cancers tend to be found is when the, the patient develops a lymph node in the neck because they tend to be silent and relatively small in the throat. So really, the way they're showing up is by a lymph node, which automatically makes them stage 3 and stage 4, but still very highly curable. Because the primary sites are mostly T1 and T2, they're perfectly amenable to transoral robotic surgery. And when we say de-intensification for this type of process, what does that mean? So, you know, it's very interesting. You know, the PubMed database, which has 24 million entries, it's it's our Google, right? It's doctor's Google for looking up articles. If you put the word de-intensification into PubMed, 26 articles come up. That was about a few weeks ago when I was checking uh, before a lecture I gave. I was just curious. 20 out of the 26 articles are related to high-dose chemoradiation for oropharyngeal cancer. That boggles the mind. There are 24 million entries, and the only treatment that is considered so intense that the term de-intensification pulls up almost all the articles is high-dose chemoradiation for oropharyngeal cancer. And so what our goal is is to try and de-intensify the amount of radiation we're giving to people and less chemotherapy because high-dose radiation has to be given in a, in a wide field when you haven't done the surgery with high doses and has to be given in conjunction with chemotherapy, which also increases the toxicity in the throat. And then the delicate muscles of swallowing can be damaged so that patients can have real difficulty swallowing long-term. So when we say deintensification, what we mean is do the surgery, they heal, they do very well, but then we want to decrease the radiation dose to the primary site, to the neck, avoid chemotherapy in about 40% of patients, 
and then decrease the total dosage and field size that we do at the primary site. So this de-intensifies the treatment and doesn't damage, have collateral damage to the swallowing muscles. So that's really important because these cancers, which by the way essentially are caused by normal sexual behavior, these cancers tend to occur in 40 to 60 year age group. They tend to be healthy people that are physically fit and that are conscious about, very health conscious, frequently have either quit smoking in the distant past or don't smoke at all. It's a real, you know, what happened here? I did everything right. I was eating right. I'm exercising and, and I'm otherwise healthy people. Now, if you take that group of patients and then you give them an incredibly intense treatment that damages their, their swallowing function, it really has a negative impact on quality of life. And they have a lot of living to do because it's a highly curable cancer. So the goal is to de-intensify. Now, there's other ways that are being looked at to de-intensify with other chemotherapy and radiation regimens. But, you know, TORS is FDA cleared. 20% of patients avoid radiation entirely. This is a viable method for providing de-intensification for our patients. Absolutely. And from what you said, the efficacy is excellent. Excellent. And uh, you avoid all the morbidity of those other very intense treatments. Well, not necessarily all the morbidity because you need to get, you need 80% of patients are still getting radiation, but you decrease the morbidity. That's, That's okay. I stand corrected. Decrease it. Absolutely. Yep. Now, as we look ahead, Dr. Weinstein, what do you see for the future of TORS? Well, right now, um, there's a couple of things going on. There's a number of trials around the world looking at even further deintensification. There's an NCI-funded trial through ECOG, um, the Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group. I'm the director of surgical quality on that study. And what that study is looking at is patients go through transoral surgery, primarily transoral robotic surgery. And then if they're kind of an intermediate group, they get randomized between 5,000 versus 6,000 rads which is an opportunity to lower the dose. Typically, when patients have extra capsular spread or cancer spread outside the lymph node, which is discovered when we remove the lymph nodes as part of this surgical paradigm, they typically get chemo and radiation. In our study, National Multi-Institutional Trial, we are avoiding chemotherapy in, in the groups that have minimal extra capsular spread. So this is a way of de-intensifying treatment. There's an in-house study at the University of Pennsylvania where we are also not radiating the primary site at all if patients don't have any high-risk features. So they go for the surgery, and if they have neck indications for radiation, which is multiple positive lymph nodes, OCAS is spreading outside the node, then they would get radiation or chemoradiation, but we would block out the primary site entirely. We know this is safe because we published data showing that in patients who don't get radiation at all after transorobotic surgery, the risk of recurrence at the primary site is only about 2%. And in our cohort that didn't get radiated, the cure rate is incredibly high. Even with a 2 to 4% recurrence rate, we've saved radiation. Remember, radiation can only give into one body part per lifetime, generally speaking. Sometimes we re-irradiate, but it's a last resort. So now if we've kept radiation on the side, if they are even that small group that does recur, we can still use radiation or chemoradiation if we choose to. So um, that group does particularly well. This is an, another study that's being done. There are new iterations of the robot being, that are coming out. You know, the first robot we began with was what's called a Da Vinci Standard. I mean, that's the equivalent back in 1991 when I arrived at Penn and the computer program um, was DOS, you know. <laughs> and then we moved our way up to, you know, the first Windows program, which is a Da Vinci S. And now, now there's the SI and, uh, and the XI, which isn't used for transorobotic surgery. But on the horizon is the Da Vinci SP, which is a single port system in which small tools come out of one inch and a half port and give even better access to the throat. So these are all exciting things on the horizon. 
Well, I very much want to thank Dr. Gregory Weinstein for educating us about transoral robotic surgery, a relatively new technique developed at Penn Medicine that has equal or improved efficacy over standard approaches and the ability to drastically reduce morbidity from other types of treatments that patients with this problem have needed in the past. Again, Dr. Weinstein, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine. To download this podcast or to access others in the series, please visit reachmd.com slash pen and visit Pen Physician Link, an exclusive program that helps referring physicians connect with Pen. Here you can find education resources, information about our expedited referral process, and communication tools. To learn more, visit www.penmedicine.org slash physician link. Thank you for listening.